Chapter 9 Hi, I'm Adam Goldblatt. I'm an entrepreneur, business person, and mentor to startups. I am also an attorney at Forest Firm, where we provide full-service business law to clients in North Carolina and throughout the world. Our growth is based on our commitment to client service. One of our core goals is that clients are never unpleasantly surprised by an invoice. In running a company, something that a founder might be surprised about is the amount of negotiating he or she will do on a daily basis. Negotiating with vendors, with those first clients, recruits, initial investors, and eventually with the people or companies who are looking to buy the business. Through it all, founders need to know tactics and tricks that people on the other side of the table will be using to prevent fair market deals from happening. As a founder of a startup, the cards are often stacked against you. In The Negotiator's Hat, David talks about those tactics and opportunities to level the playing field. Good cop, bad cop, the walk away, decoys, false urgency, big company strong arming, and many more. Ultimately, the negotiator's hat is one that will see you from the start of your venture all the way through the exit. Chapter 9. The Negotiator's Hat I've never had a class in how to negotiate, but I think I've witnessed firsthand about every technique ever invented used by people sitting across the table from me. If you are going to be in business, you've got to learn how to wear the negotiator's hat. You'll have to recognize when others have it on and are using basic techniques on you. You can work yourself silly servicing a bad deal, and it will still be a bad deal. Getting fair agreements in place up front is critical no matter whether you are negotiating with investors, employees, vendors, business partners, or a potential acquirer. Most people want to feel that they have pushed you about as far as you are willing to go before they stop negotiating. No one wants to leave the room feeling like they left money on the table. So the fundamental goal of good negotiating is to get the other side to believe that you have been pushed as far as you can possibly go. There is an awkward moment at some point in most negotiations where each side waits for the other to throw down the first important number or key term. If you produce the first number, then you run the risk of starting too high or too low, as they may have started with an even more favorable number. If you wait for them to throw down first, then they may get an advantage of starting the negotiating closer to where they wanted to end up. If you throw down first and your number is too unreasonable, then you may offend them and kill any spirit of win-win that may have existed. So how do you start? If they throw out the first number, you should always try to look a little shocked, or at least surprised. If someone from your team is with you, make sure they know to play along. Wincing communicates that the number or terms suggested are far from your expectation. After seeing this, the people on the other side of the table may now fear that they have thrown down a number that you believe is unreasonable. They may also assume that they are now running a risk of killing the spirit of cooperation or even the entire deal. This puts them on the defensive as they now have to recover by demonstrating that they are flexible. This may seem obvious, but if you decide to throw down the first number or terms, then it is always best to start out by asking for a lot more than you would be willing to accept. This leaves you room to compromise 
and enables the other side to feel that they have won concessions and done a good job negotiating the deal. Don't worry too much if they seem shocked or surprised. It's all part of the dance. While negotiating terms, you should throw down some decoys. A decoy is a term or condition that you say you want but really don't care that much about. Skilled negotiators always ask for something whenever they give up something. Decoys give you chips on the table that you can trade that don't really cost you anything in terms of where you really want to end up. I was once negotiating with a team of M&A attorneys representing a Fortune 1000 company regarding the acquisition of my company. There were lots of terms on the table that I really wanted, such as a larger cash component and guarantees that all of my staff would continue employment as part of the deal. I knew from researching some of their previous acquisitions that they liked to lock founders into a one- to two-year earnout period. I wanted the vast majority of the payout up front, and I wanted to be able to immediately start another company I was thinking about. So, I threw down a decoy. I told them that I really wanted to have a three-year employee agreement with a guaranteed big salary and a golden parachute should I be terminated for any reason. Ultimately, I was able to trade this decoy in exchange for a no earnout of any kind. Sometimes bigger companies and vendors will try to bully you using the power of legitimacy. They will hand you a pre-printed agreement and tell you that this is what all of their customers or partners have to sign. It's the only approved form. Don't fall for it. I assure you that most everything is negotiable. Hand it back to them and say, so this means that you are unwilling to negotiate any of these terms? If they are willing to negotiate as expected, then they will probably fumble or at least hesitate a little with their response. They don't want to say no when in fact they would negotiate. You have called their bluff. You can also use the power of legitimacy to your advantage. Tell a potential reseller or partner that your terms are the same terms to which all of your other resellers agreed. This puts them in the position of feeling like they are being unreasonable by insisting on a better one-off deal. After all, none of the other partners felt the need to negotiate these standard terms. Hand your non-disclosure agreement to a new hire and state that it is the only one that has been approved by your attorney and investors, i.e., there is no room for negotiations on this. Don't get pressured into accepting any deal until you feel that you have had the time you need to really think through all of the terms and their ramifications. Take the time you need to talk to your staff and advisors about the opportunity and terms. Some negotiators will try to create an artificial sense of urgency to pressure you into making a decision and thus stop negotiating. I've heard it all. Our CEO is leaving town for a month and has to sign this deal before he leaves tomorrow. We are only going to go with whoever signs up first. This sale ends tomorrow. Prices are going up next month. Be assured that if it's a good deal for both parties today, then it will also be so tomorrow or next week once you have had the time you need to fully vet the terms. Another technique you will often see is the I'm not the person who is negotiating with you positioning. The people I've encountered using this technique are some of the best negotiators I've ever seen. They cleverly position themselves as just the messenger. 
they supposedly carry your terms back to their higher authority and then return with that person's objections and counteroffer. They cleverly convince you that they are not the one you are negotiating with and that they don't really care about the deal. Then they start to give you some suggestions on how you might get what you want from the real decision maker or what that person might be willing to go for. They gain your trust and before you know it, they have moved around to your side of the table and are advising you on deal terms. When I see someone trying to pull off this variation on good cop, bad cop technique, I generally just play along and let the person think that he or she has my complete trust. I may even comment on how much I appreciate the guidance. If you do this, your new advisor will assume that you are being completely straightforward because you have bought into the ruse. This puts you in a good position to use decoys or any of the techniques discussed in this chapter and have them accepted at face value. Just keep in mind that your new advisor is the real person you are negotiating with and you will do fine. Remember that you, even as the CEO, can also use this technique. You may not have an immediate manager that you need to appeal to, but you probably do have a partner, co-founder, or board of directors that you may need to get a consent from, wink, wink, before entering into certain deals or partnerships. Even novice negotiators all seem to know the split the difference compromise. I want 600K and you want 400K, so let's split the difference and agree on 500K. Sounds reasonable, but that totally depends on where each negotiator started. When this compromise is offered, if you still aren't where you need to be, then try splitting the difference again. Watch carefully. So you are now at 500K, but I really need 600K. I could split the difference with you. Let's go with 550K. The splitting of the offered split counter technique might be just what you need to make up the difference to make a deal palatable. One technique I hate is what appears to be the wear you down strategy. This is when the other person just keeps coming back with the same offer over and over again, stated in slightly different ways. They talk and talk and talk through endless meetings until finally you are willing to agree to about anything that will end the merry-go-round. This may sound simplistic, but it still gets used because it works. Negotiators know that you are super busy and most likely still wearing many, if not most, of the startup hats. Your time is precious, and every minute you spend on the merry-go-round is depriving your venture of its most precious asset. When you feel this technique is in play, get off the merry-go-round. Explain that the negotiations are taking much longer than expected and that you will need to send in an understudy or proxy. I have actually appointed my entry-level admin to negotiate on my behalf in these cases. I just gave her the terms I wanted and told her to keep negotiating until she got them. Negotiators find this really frustrating because basically you are now doing the same thing to them, but it's not wearing you down or hurting your productivity. It's usually not that long before they begin once again to negotiate in earnest. A company just outside of Amsterdam once offered to acquire one of my startups. They offered to fly the partners over to their offices to negotiate the deal terms. After working a full day, we flew all night and arrived at their office the next morning. As soon as we arrived, they locked us in a room 
and we sat negotiating intensely for nine hours, breaking only for one quick meal. They pushed us hard to make quick decisions concerning complex deal terms. We were young and inexperienced and did not perceive the various tactics being deployed. We were tired and just wanted some rest. We did okay on that deal, but I'm certain we could have done much better if we had insisted on some rest and taken our time. When you feel a full court press is being applied, back away from the table and insist on taking the time you need to negotiate a good deal with fresh eyes. Remember that winning at all cost is not winning. Wars have been lost because of a one battle that ultimately was too costly. No matter how high the stakes may be, always be ready and willing to walk away. Every offer looks too good to pass up until the next offer comes along. I have a friend who argues that until you've walked away from the table at least twice, you are not really negotiating. I watched him do this at a car dealership. We walked out of the office and into the parking lot before the sales manager chased us down to accept my friend's offer. The walkaway is a risky gamble because you might have your bluff called, but if the deal on the table sucks and it's not moving, then you really don't have anything to lose. The walkaway has a powerful psychological effect. It makes the person left at the table feel that they have failed, and having something removed from play always increases the desire for it. One of the companies I invested in and advised had the good fortune to get a term sheet from Mark Cuban, the famous investor from the popular TV series Shark Tank. The terms were basically reasonable, but Mark's attorneys were insisting on one term we could not accept. It, in effect, mandated that the company could not be sold without Mark's specific permission. I was concerned about this term because it could create a situation that put Mark and the two founders at odds. What these young entrepreneurs might consider a great exit might not be the same for a man worth $2.5 The founders desperately wanted both Mark's investment and the credibility his involvement could provide. But with my encouragement, they had the guts to walk away from the deal. In this case, walking away worked. The shark blinked and called back offering to remove this condition from his investment terms. One technique that has worked well for me and is less risky than the walkaway is the partial walkaway. It works like this. Rather than simply doing the walkaway, you propose a lesser deal or relationship. This communicates that you believe the current negotiations are at an impasse, so you are giving up and moving on to another less difficult negotiation that maybe can get done. It might go like this. Since it doesn't look like we will be able to reach an agreement on an acquisition, let's discuss a possible partnership. Since it doesn't look like we are able to agree on reseller terms, let's focus on a possible referral agreement. Since I won't be able to meet your salary requirements, can we discuss a possible contractor arrangement? You get the picture. It convincingly communicates that you have gone as far as you can go and that you believe the other party has gone as far as they can go, so there's nothing left to do but punt. People often call a walkaway bluff, but they rarely recognize the partial walkaway as a walkaway technique because you immediately start negotiating for a lesser deal. If the other party wants to get the primary deal done, then this will put them on the defensive trying to get you back to the table.
you'd be amazed at how often this technique gets the original deal done along the lines of your last offer before you executed the partial takeaway. When negotiating, use your sales objection handling techniques to avoid falling into adversarial roles. Avoid flatly saying no. Try to respond more with a yes if. Yes, I could pay that royalty if you can agree to certain minimum revenue levels. Yes, I probably could agree to pay you that much if you can commit to this sales quota. As they say, there are many ways to skin a cat. Deal doing does not have to be black or white. Think in terms of if and and, a continuum, a sliding scale that triggers different valuations, exclusivity, or compensation level. There is always a way to get to yes if you think in terms of yes if. If you do happen to be pretty good at negotiating, allow me to give you some additional advice. Never negotiate a deal that is too one-sided in your favor. I used to do this occasionally because I could, and I regret every single one of those deals. The only deals, partnerships, and relationships that work out are the ones that are good for both parties. The only partnerships that work out in the end are the ones in which both partners win. The only employees that stay with you and contribute for the long term are the ones with equitable deals and compensation. Just as there are some exceptionally sophisticated negotiators out there, there are also some very naive ones that you can talk into about anything. Don't do it, even if you have to do the negotiating for both sides of the table. You never want to feel like you took advantage of someone. You have a responsibility to your investors to make sure that your company gets a good deal, but you also have an obligation as a human being not to take advantage of others or treat them unfairly in the name of fiduciary responsibility. Start building the personal reputation that you want to follow you. It is best to be known as a tough but fair negotiator. Remember that almost everything is negotiable. This includes the deals you cut with your vendors and professional services providers. You can blow a ton of money on top-tier professional services if you aren't careful. Never just turn an attorney loose on a project without a set not-to-exceed budget. Ask your attorney to spend X hours on something and no more, depending on its relative importance, or you're likely to get a bill that burns your eyebrows off. What you'll get on a fixed price is often almost as good as what could have taken three times longer. Most attorneys have a bill rate that is several hundreds of dollars per hour. If you need a customer contract, for example, try to find templates for what you need online and ask your attorney for a few templates for you to review. It is best to take a first pass at modifying documents like NDAs, privacy policies, offer letters, board consents, etc. yourself, and then just pay your attorney a set fee for reviewing your document. Once you are cash flowing, you can pay to have your documents reviewed again and upgraded. After all, who's going to sue a startup? You don't have any money. These documents typically aren't going to be what makes or breaks your startup in the early days. They should simply be viewed as administrative paperwork and moved aside as quickly and as cost-effectively as possible.
In finishing out this section, I want to address a special negotiating situation I guarantee you will face early on in your startup. It's important to keep your top salespeople happy and motivated, but you also have to keep sales compensation in line. If you don't, then you won't be able to stay on plan or hire reasonably priced sales staff in the future. I make it very clear to my sales team from day one that I will only discuss compensation once a year. To do otherwise would not be fair to the other employees. I admit that sales are very important, but so is the rest of the staff contributing to the other things. What if the developers argued for a raise every month because after all, without them, we'd have nothing to sell? Make it clear that an employment agreement represents a one-year commitment. To try to renegotiate it partway through is not ethical. How would you feel if you weren't quite making quota and I suggested that we change your employment agreement to lower your base salary? Our model only works if sales costs stay within a set percentage of sales. If you give in and renegotiate a comp plan mid-year, then you will seem unfair to your other workers, who will now also be streaming into your office for consideration. You can certainly tell your top performers that you are aware of their contribution and that it will be weighed in mightily when it is time for the annual review and compensation discussion. You can also recognize top performers with unexpected rewards and recognition throughout the year, but never renegotiate a compensation plan mid-year, even if it means losing a good performer. Statistically, the vast majority of employees who only stay with a company in exchange for a mid-year compensation increase are gone anyway within six months. It is also important to know what not to negotiate. Very early-stage companies, in my experience, tend to spend too much time thinking about business development, partnerships, and reseller channels. They view these as almost a silver bullet to scale their business. Although I've worked with some notable exceptions, usually very little value comes from these negotiations until your company has grown more organically. You generally only want partnerships with organizations that have a large sales force and customer base to bring to the table. Unless you have some key technology they strategically need, these companies rarely want to spend time talking to an early-stage, unproven startup. But there are a lot of small companies and individuals who want to work with you at this stage. They want to meet and talk a lot and spend weeks negotiating revenue shares, complex contract terms, etc. They seem to think that you are their silver bullet. In my experience, 90% of these prove to be nothing more than a costly distraction. In the early days, your model and offering can and should be moving around some. Until you are experienced in selling your product yourself and have a set repeatable model, it is extremely hard to get others who don't work directly for you to do this well. This said, you may come across some well-connected individuals that can and should be put on a referral agreement, but these can be done quickly from a template document. If a reseller model makes sense for your offering and you feel that both your product and sales model are mature, then there will be a time for channel building and using all of the negotiating techniques discussed here. When you find yourself negotiating these relationships, there is one additional important tip to keep in mind. If possible, 
negotiate for the right to directly compensate your partner's sales teams. Even large companies forget that whoever is controlling sales compensation is actually controlling the activities of the sales force in general. Sales professionals are most often coin-operated, i.e., they follow the compensation. This makes sales compensation the rudder of the ship. If you negotiate for the right to provide additional direct compensation, bonuses, contests, and other awards and recognitions to your partner's sales force, then you will have some control over their behavior. Another special negotiation you will have to face early on in your venture is negotiating with potential board members and advisors. Like advisors, board members that are not founders or investors often work for stock options. Negotiating their compensation can be tricky because you have to estimate how much value and time each will contribute in the future. A lot of advisors go on and on about all of the contacts they have and how much they can do for you. But on several occasions, after I gave some of these guys a nice chunk of options, very little of the value they promised was realized. Because of these experiences, I started negotiating with stock option grants that were awarded based on actual hours worked each month up to a maximum amount. In order to get these options, my advisors were required to send an email to me each month stating the hours they worked that month. Advisors were reluctant to put a large number of hours down because they knew that I'd ask what they did during that time. If advisors push back on compensation structured this way, then explain to them that you like this approach because it makes sure that each advisor is compensated proportionate to their level of involvement. Some entrepreneurs never get very comfortable under the negotiator's hat, but it's one you must be able to put on from time to time. If you give everyone everything they want, then your venture will almost certainly fail. Being a competent negotiator does not mean that you take advantage of people. It does mean that you have the skills you need to make sure that everyone in a transaction gets a fair deal or no deal at all. That concludes this chapter of The Startup Hats, Master the Many Roles of the Entrepreneur by David Gardner. If you like this chapter and you can't wait for the next one in a week, you can download and listen to the entire audiobook on Audible. Startup Hats is sponsored by Forest Firm, a full-service law firm and certified B Corporation with offices across North Carolina and clients around the globe. The Forest Firm mission is to provide legal services that consistently exceed client expectations, create healthy, sustainable work environments for professionals, and positively impact the communities where they live and work. For more information, head on over to forestfirm.com. For more information on the work that David Gardner is doing with his venture capital firm, visit cofounderscapital.com. Startup Hats is a production of EarFluence and read by me, Dave Clark. You can find more information on EarFluence podcast at EarFluence.com.